Well, they are the strangest of bedfellows, a liberal conservative coalition. Hi, I'm Justin Guest. Welcome to the Government Department Hot Seat. With us today to examine the prospects of this extraordinary uh, partnership is Professor Paul Kelly. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you, Justin. Nice to see you. Thanks to see you. Let's get started. So is this coalition even going to last? Um, it, it, it's a difficult question to answer. My sense is yes. There's a lot of reasons on both sides for this to be a, a more permanent coalition. And I suspect both parties will look fairly carefully into all of the problems before they will have signed up to something like this. It is such a special occasion. So I'm putting my head on the block and saying yes, but I, do, I think that's the right answer. So if this is going to last, how does this change the Tories' agenda going forward? Well, m most of the coverage... Um, presents the coalition as being an advantage for the Conservatives to get them into office and as soon as they can dump the Liberals and you know, go for a, a majority government, that's what they'll do. I think actually their long-term, or Cameron's certainly long-term judgment, is that this coalition is in the best interest of the Conservative Party because it allows him to finish his project of transformation. I, I think he's quite serious about this idea of liberal conservatism and he needs the Liberals for that. So that, that's one reason why I think the, the, the set-up probably leads itself to a stable coalition. Both parties need this. So then what can the Liberal Democrats achieve through this coalition? Well, there's two, two ways of answering that. I mean, I suppose for, for some of the senior figures... This is an opportunity that they didn't expect in their careers to exercise power. And that's enormously attractive. That's why people go into politics. So some of them will have taken a calculation that is, if this all ends in tears, they've had a chance. Um, the, the received opinion tends to be now that the Liberal Democrats will be squeezed as a result of this. This will force people to flock back to Labour, which is the natural home for the progressive vote. But, of course, that assumes that everybody who voted for the Liberals are potential Labour voters, which is not the case. Um, there are these regional variations and all sorts of complex reasons why people vote Liberal. There will be some movement back to Labour, but it isn't obvious that th this thing called the progressive vote will just shift back to the progressive party. So it's quite difficult to see how the Liberals will, will be in five years' time. I think this could could solidify their position as a strong but small middle party. And if you are Labour, what can you go from here? Where can you go from here? Well, the danger for Labour is that, uh, and, and there's some sense in this is where they're going, uh, is that they have a snap leadership election and think that in the short run all will be resolved and be back to politics as usual. Liberal, um, liberals will be out of it, squeezed, and it'll be Labour versus Conservative. Um, if the coalition arrangement works and, more importantly, the, the sort of um, distribution of the vote in the, in the election is the settled will of, of, of the British electorate, you know, not quite sure how to divide between these three parties, they have to think long and hard what they're for. And that's not clear. And I suspect the leadership election, if it's done badly, could distort that judgment. So where do they go if the Liberals and the Conservatives colonise a centre-right ground but with a strong centre part to that? Um, the only way for them to go is either to, to try and colonise the same ground, which is very difficult, or move left, which is a disaster. 
um, unless they can be confident that there's this large progressive vote out there. Mm. And that they can't be. And in their obstructionist attempts, because obviously one of the main options will be obstruction, what will they have the chance to obstruct exactly? What would you see being the primary agenda of a liberal conservative coalition? Well, the, the primary agenda is, is, is clearly deficit reduction and um, the economy. That's, I mean, one reason perhaps, we will never know until the, until the memoirs are published, but one reason perhaps for a, a formal coalition is it does echo the last formal coalition government was wartime. Mm. You know, in, so a signal is sent out, we're serious, we understand this is really important. Um, party advantage has to give way, at least in the first instance, to the major economic problems that the country's facing. That, that's part of the signal. Um, if that is the case, I mean, if it really is the agenda for the next few years, it's, it, it probably is to Labour's advantage, although they wouldn't, they wouldn't um, own up to this, to be out of office, to let the cutting and downsizing of the state and readjustment be done by somebody else. So the question then is, does it happen quickly? Does it happen relatively painlessly going forward, in which case the Conservatives and Liberals might benefit from it? Or does it leave a sort of seething resentment in the British people, which might be something that a, a revitalised Labour Party could pick up on three, four years down the road? Well, it's interesting that you suggest that perhaps the cutting and slashing can be done quite painlessly. Um, for many people, uh, they believe that this coalition business is perhaps the – it makes decisiveness basically impossible in very decisive times. For others, it's the best thing to happen to British democracy since BBC 24, our purported competitors. Um, tell us, where do you stand on this? Well, I, I'm, it, it can't be done easily and it can't be done painlessly. But if, if the main task is to reduce um, significantly public expenditure, um, the areas of the country which are most dependent on public expenditure for maintaining jobs and so on are not natural conservative heartlands anyway. So if you end up penalising Scotland, South Wales, the industrial northeast, um, the industrial northwest, Manchester, Liverpool, and so on, um, you're not going to lose too many seats. You're going to, ha you're going to do what, ha what happened in the early 80s, where you just pile up Labour majorities in seats that are already safe. Um, it's not clear that that sort of restructuring of the economy is going to impact severely on the southeast and the areas where the Conservative vote is strongest. So... From the conservative point of view, it, it might be relatively painless. It's not obviously going to hit their core constituencies. If it is targeted like that, Northern Ireland is another one that comes into play, um, as Cameron has already suggested. You know, these are areas where, where in a sense, Labour's policy of um, public expenditure was part of a full employment strategy. It was about keeping jobs in areas. If those are the target areas... Um, it's not clear that Labour will benefit much from that um, unless the pain is spread across the country, which it won't be because of the ways in which different aspects of our economy are dependent on public expenditure. Um, it's not obvious that they will gain greatly by this, however painful it is. Of course, if we have riots and so on, that's another matter. But um, you know, in the large swathes of blue across the country, it's not likely that we will. All right. Well, that'll do it. Professor Paul Kelly, thank you very much for being with us. You are off the hot seat, and thank you for being with us. Do stay tuned for next month's edition.